0: This is an MVP podcast, My Village Productions.
1: Welcome to Unsolved America, a show where we explore unsolved mysteries throughout the United States. I'm your host, Tiffany.
0: And I'm your host, Andy. And each week, we will throw a dart at the map and wherever it lands is the location of our mystery. This week, I landed on Texas.
1: Oh, the Lone Star State i couldn't i was gonna say something about the spurs i don't know what happened
0: i don't yeah you, I saw, you started talking and i saw like the look of panic on your face you're like what
1: what was i gonna say
0: no oh, man so texas it's a giant state i feel like we could do a whole podcast on just like unsolved cases in texas alone
1: i can yeah i mean that's a huge state
0: right shit has gone down in texas But today we're going to focus on a group of murders that took place in what is now nicknamed the killing fields. Oh, yes. All four victims were women and there was no apparent or like obvious connection between them. Okay. One was uh, one of the women was a teenager. Another was a local bartender. And then there was a 30 year old mechanic. And then there was a young mother as well. So. Really, like, spanning age differences, right? Like, okay, yeah. So we'll kind of dive in and talk about the first victim. Okay. The first victim was in 1983, and it was a young bartender whose name was Heidi F- uh, Fye, F-Y-E. Yeah. And she went missing in League City, um, and and then a few months later, after her disappearance, her body was discovered in a rural Field. I hate that word. Rural. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> a year later, we then have 16 year old Laura Miller. Okay. Who disappeared mm. once again in League City. She had gone to a nearby store to use a payphone, but then never returned. Mm. And then in 1986, so two years later, Miller's body was found in the same field, not far from where... Heidi's body was discovered. Okay. During the search for Miller, police made a a gruesome discovery, a third body. Mm. However, police didn't have any leads as to who the unidentified woman was, so she became known as Jane Doe. And then in 1991, passerbys discovered a fourth body, known at that time as Janet Doe. So the last two, they didn't know who they were, unfortunately, for a while. So Heidi and Laura were both positively identified through dental records. Limited scientific options at, the, at that time meant that our Jane and Janet Doe's would remain unknown for nearly, I think it was, it's 20 years. Oh, wow. 20-ish years, yeah. That's sad. So the League City Police Department is the lead agency for this case, but the FBI was brought in to help just examine the evidence of the cases. And then they also wanted to use the FBI's behavioral experts so that they could create a profile of a possible killer for them. Okay. Which makes sense. Like it seems definitely like there was a pattern there Mm -hmm. for a few years and now there's four people that all showed up in this field in the middle of nowhere yeah all within like a reasonable distance of each other so it's like yeah i think they're all connected maury (laughs) (laughs) Maury.
1: (laughs) you are not the father
0: throughout the years leads have come and gone and the murders still remain unsolved there are no known witnesses to any of the killings and there are no common person that connects all four. Like I said, like they didn't know each other. There was no possible like thread of connection between these four women.
1: Did they look the same?
0: It doesn't say. Okay. To this day, all signs point to one killer, although multiple, multiple killers cannot be ruled out. Mm-hmm. So they don't have enough s- substantial evidence to say that it definitely was the same person. But like like we were saying before, it's likely.
1: Yeah. I mean, especially when it's all of the same, like the bodies are dumped in mm-hmm. the same area.
0: Yeah. Well, and it was it was a, an area that was very underdeveloped. So they were saying like it needed to be somebody that was very familiar with the area, likely somebody that grew up in that mm-hmm. in that area.
1: Yeah.
0: And the and the fields were so remote that it's likely that somebody knew that those fields were going to be a good place to leave a body. I mean, Laura Miller's body wasn't found for two years. After she disappeared, so Ugh. I mean, it was it was a good it's good spot for a couple of years.
1: Apparently, it is a field
0: in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, investigators have just poured over missing person databases and appealed to the public for tips, but for every passing year, the case just gets like tougher and tougher to crack for them. Mm-hmm. Um, with the uh, with this much time going by. A lot of people obviously lose their memories. They don't remember things. They right.
1: I don't remember what happened two days ago. I
0: mean, absolutely. So Detective Renison with the FBI says that these cases are personal. He's from the area and started his career with the League City Police Department. Not long after the fourth body was found, he then began assisting with the investigation. Okay. He joined the FBI in 2005, and he has been involved in the case in some way or another ever since then. Okay. So while leads have dwindled over the years, obviously our technology has advanced.
1: Obviously.
0: Obviously, and in 2019, Renison received a call that kind of breathed new life into this into this case,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it was the identification of our Jane and Janab Doe.
1: Oh wow.
0: Jane Doe, found in 1986, was actually Audrey Lee Cook. Cook was a mechanic and lived in the Houston Channelview uh, Heights area of Texas. And she was last seen in December of 1985. Mm-hmm. And then Janet Doe, who was found in 1991, has been identified as Donna Gonsolin Prudholm. Okay. Knowing the names of the women, has given investigators uh, so at least something to work with yeah. so they're contacting neighbors and friends and they're reviewing police records from that time to see if they can try and figure out a storyline of what happened yeah. to the at least these two women so so at this point in time the investigation is mainly just appealing to the public for help with this now that they have some information so renaissance and the local police need uh, to talk to anyone who can provide potential information. And they're saying like details as small as like where the women worked or the names of like their friends who yeah. they, who they hung out with a lot at the time um, would be monumentally helpful. So then they can at least interview people right, and figure out what happened. Now we're going to go into a little bit of like the background with like just the family and just some of their like testimonials on the victims. Okay. And We're kind of going this route with this episode because there's very little information on actually the killings. Yeah. We don't know a lot about that. So it is just a lot of um, stories, just like little stories from friends, family, Mm -hmm. things like that. So the first family member is Tim Miller, who has 16 year old daughter, Laura, was murdered. And he re- he recalls that she was a musically gifted teenager who had a lot of dreams. But high school became a bit challenging to her after she began to have debilitating seizures. Oh. She missed school, had to leave the choir, and she struggled socially.
1: That's sad.
0: It is. After her family moved to League City, Laura asked to go to a payphone to call her boyfriend since her family's phone was not yet connected. On September 10th, 1984, her mother drove her to the payphone and Laura planned to walk the half mile back home. Which is interesting to me, because if your daughter has debilitating seizures, why would you leave her alone? Like, yeah, you can walk down the street home.
1: Yeah, but I mean, when Unless, are you going to be like watching them like a hawk all I, the time? I don't
0: know. At the time, police considered her a potential runaway and assured the Millers that she would uh, call home in in a little bit. Which is normal, right? Like, yeah. If it's a runaway, they usually contact you at some point. Over months passed, and it was very clear to everybody that Laura was not coming home. Her dad, Tim, began researching similar murders in the area, even conducting his own searches of the area. He said, I knew in my heart that Laura wasn't coming home alive. I was afraid she was going, she was never going to be located.
1: Hmm. That's so hard to like think about that hmm. as a parent.
0: Yeah, I couldn't even imagine.
1: I know. Well, and it's so sad that he had to conduct his own searches.
0: Right. Well, that's a lot. Like, in a lot of, like, these, especially, like, smaller towns, like, where the police department doesn't have a lot of resources, like, thankfully, like, League City was able to get the help of the FBI, Mm -hmm. and they were able to use some of their resources, but they still probably weren't able to do, like, massive, like, search, like, search parties.
1: Oh, yeah, no way.
0: Like, and so a lot of times, these parents do have to go out, and they're sadly looking... I think they're looking for items that like maybe point to their child. I don't think they're like, I don't think you're going out and being like.
1: They need to find their body. Yeah.
0: I didn't know how to say that. I am not thank you for saying it. I was like, that's really morbid.
1: Yeah. But I mean, it's understandable, though. Like, yeah, you want some sort of closure and. Yeah. Or hope. But nothing. I think that's what drives people to do that. Like. When there is nothing and you just want a little sliver of hope or just closure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Closure. Good or bad. Like you just like, I need to know what happened.
1: Being in limbo is just probably the worst feeling in the world and not knowing.
0: Absolutely. More than a year after her disappearance, Laura's body was then found. Yeah. Helping other families with missing loved ones actually became Tim Miller's life. He now runs Texas. ECU search which is a Texas-based nonprofit that searches for missing people. He and his organization have found more than 250 bodies all over the world and have recovered um living missing people as well. Oh, cool. So while the Millers waited 17 months, Diane Gonslin Hastings waited more than 30 years to find out what happened to her sister Donna. Donna was described as a beautiful woman and a mother who liked to cook Cajun Cajun food and go fishing.
1: Mm. I mean, yum.
0: Right. (laughs) Donna was one of six children, and she grew up and lived most of her life in the Port Arthur area of Texas. Okay. She married and had two sons, but when her husband became abusive, she was forced to leave with her children, according to her sister. In her sister's words, she had a pretty tough life, but she loved her children so much, and you know we all just do the best we can with what we have. Amen. By the late 1980s, Donna was in a new relationship and raising her sons. Donna kept in touch with her family, and Diane thought her sister seemed very happy. But after that relationship ended, Donna fell on hard times, and she took her children to their grandmother's house and moved to Clear Lake, Texas to try and rebuild her life and one day take her children back. And then in 1989... Donna asked her sister for a copy of her birth certificate so that she could travel. Okay. She then mailed her birth certificate to Donna's home in Clear Lake, and she never heard from her sister again. sad. Diane and her family made numerous attempts to find Donna throughout the years. They sent her letters, and they were reaching out to all of her friends. They worked with investigators and prayed for her return. As technology evolved, they also used the internet to try and find her. However, years went by, and there was no word from Donna. Her sons grew up missing their mother. Her older son was paralyzed in a serious car accident and asked his aunt about his mother every time he saw her. He died before Donna's remains were identified.
1: That's so sad.
0: Back in 2008, Diane worked with a private investigator as a last-ditch effort to find her sister. And and he told her that there's not a trace, and he said that you have two choices. You can believe she's no longer with us or, or that she started a new good life and doesn't want to be found.
1: I mean, obviously, those are the two options. Like, Thanks for telling me.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, I think I but sadly, I think like in those instances, that's what like people need. Like it may seem like a really simple revelation, but like until somebody says it to you directly, I feel like it doesn't like click that like those are very well like those could be your only options for this scenario rather than like letting people like fantasize and like come up with like all these different theories of what's what what happened
1: i mean i guess like which makes the person angry like well just because so what if they're having a good life or whatever like why wouldn't they reach out to me and tell me that they're okay like yeah then they're really screwed up for leaving their family in limbo
0: right so diane then responded to the private investigator, that she refuses to believe that Donna had run away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she said yeah. that she just kept saying she loved her kids. Which, absolutely. Yeah. So then it was much to Diane's surprise that she received an unexpected uh, a phone call. Her sister's remains had been identified and the body that had been found in the killing fields in 1991, previously known as Janet Doe, was Donna's. Mm-hmm. For the family, it meant some closure to their pain And then that year, they were finally able to have a funeral for Donna in her native town of Port Arthur. At
1: least they got closure.
0: Mm -hmm. Diane has read everything she can about her sister's murder and the murders of the other women in the area. But she is mostly focused on just trying to move forward. Mm -hmm. She says, for me, I just can't get into the justice part of it because for me, it's about healing our family. Yeah, of course. So just really briefly, the future of the Killing Fields. So obviously, it's really dark calling it the Killing Fields. That area has been pretty heavily developed mm-hmm. over time, especially since the 80s. And so that area that is now known as the Killing Fields moving forward, they have the the idea of the Healing Fields. It's a little dark. <laughs> I just don't know. It's just dark. Like, I don't know, like, how you can... I know you're trying to like reclaim the. they're trying to reclaim the narrative and they're trying to I don't even know. shift
1: the mindset of. People. Yes,
0: it's not like this dark, scary place. No, yeah. call it the killing fields. We're going to call it the healing fields, which for I imagine a lot of families, weirdly enough, like going there could be healing. Like, yeah, I don't know.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Unsolved America. Head on over to Facebook and Instagram and follow us at Unsolved America MVP.
0: And be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform. If you need to contact us, please email unsolvedamerica MVP at gmail.com and we'll talk to you next week. This has been an MVP podcast by Village Productions.